your news as it happens, when it happens, wherever it happens, local, regional, and global, only on Q95, the big station, Q95DA.com, right on Q. Uh, good morning, and this is the morning news for today, Wednesday, July 15th, for 2020. I'm your presenter, Hassan Robinson. Here are the headlines. $32,000 in Dominica is a mountain load of cash that the average Dominican may never obtain in an entire year, let alone a month, argues a pastor Randy Rodney. FAO Assistant Director General and Chief Economist Maximo Torero says more than 3 billion people still can't even afford the cheapest, healthiest diet. And Democratic President nominee Joe Biden was glad to see President Donald Trump finally wearing a mask in response to COVID-19 pandemic, but says that Trump needs to push open everything now is not a successful strategy. The news is brought to you for the very kind compliments of Rudolph Thomas Enterprises. The details are coming up next. Happens when it happens, wherever it happens, local, regional, and global. Only on Q95, the big station. Q95DA.com. Right on Q. Rudolph Thomas Enterprise in Portsmouth, your suppliers of building materials and hardware products. Over 20 years' experience in the business. Rudolph Thomas has lumber and plywood, Portland and tile cement, steel rods, galvanized and fence pipe, and Rudolph Thomas can meet all your wire needs. Galvanized roofing sheets, doors, windows, toilet sets, face basins, and bidets. PVC piping, fittings, and lattice. Check out Rudolph Thomas for ceramic and vinyl floor and wall tiles, nails, nuts and bolts, paint and painting supplies. And check out their line of electrical and hand tools. And Rudolph Thomas is your one-stop shop for hard-to-find items like fiberglass mat and fiberglass resin and welding rods. Go now to Rudolph Thomas on 1240 Bay Street in Portsmouth. And uh, welcome back. The DPSU is calling on citizens and authorities to understand the value of the public services and its workers, such as the employees of Dominica Water and Sewage Company Limited, DOWASCO, and the Dominica Solid Waste Management Corporation, or DSWMC. President of the Dominica Public Service Union, Steve Joseph, made this comment as it has been revealed that even in a crisis such as the COVID-19 pandemic, these workers were not considered essential when clearly the economy would have completely collapsed into chaos without their services is how we saw persons who were not considered essential services at all. Mm -hmm. Public sector workers, let's take for example persons in the WASCO. Water is critical and water has been critical. Washing of hands and ensuring that we have water during this COVID crisis. The other area of solid waste management was, was extremely critical. I want people to begin to understand the value of, of public services and to very quickly, we will be quick to privatize and believe um, when we go in that direction, we're going to be more efficient. Uh, it's always important that the state have certain controls over certain public uh, services that, that, that benefits people rather than create an opportunity for profit. And, and, and I think in that case where we dealt with COVID to see all these people who all of a sudden their duties were so essential that you couldn't do without them. Cleaners, critical people um, that, that we saw step up to the plate to support state service. 
and that was the president of the Dominica Public Service Union, Steve Joseph. And like many countries around the world, Dominica has received a major downturn to its tourism industry caused by the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking to Q95 FM recently, hotelier, Dominican-born entrepreneur and sustainable development enthusiast Samuel Sam Raphael wanted to explain some of the areas heavily impacted by this occurrence, which led to the closing of the country's borders and ports. Additionally, Raphael believes Dominica's authorities are making the right move at this point along with proper protocols beginning their phased approach to reopening the borders and ports. If the hotels are closed, there's no business coming in. And, and it's tourism, but there's tourism, we have a supply chain. So we buy, I buy fish, we buy produce, we buy, you know, many arts and crafts. We have many, you know, persons on the island who earn a livelihood from tourism one way or the other. Even persons who may feel they don't want to earn a livelihood, at some point you see the dollar coming in, being that tourism is the main source of foreign exchange coming in the island. That their money is tied to their their salary, their livelihood is tied to tourism. So it's had a devastating effect on the overall economy of the island, on government's revenues, to meet payroll for the government and so on and so forth. And especially knowing that this pandemic is going to be around for some time in the future. I think it's prudent and it's sensible if we can find a way to slowly open our borders and monitor them and put protocols in place to protect a population. We do that. And listen, if things start getting out of control, I would be the first to advise. And I think we all would say, look, if, if, if it looks, if it doesn't look like it's going to work well, let's go back and let's retract. But I, I, I think, you know, we, we, we're going to have to open like the rest of the world. Dominicans are out there. I'm hearing from them every day. They want to get home. Some in Dominica need to get out to do business and so on and so forth. At some point, we're going to have to open the ports. Other countries in the region have opened it way before us. And we've been observing and learning from their mistakes and so on, which is good. Uh, and I, I think maybe, you know, it, it, the, the time may be right. It's not great what's happening in the U.S. at this time. It's a fluid situation. Hopefully they can get that under control. There's a lot of concern there being that it's a major source market. But we're just going to have to monitor that very closely. And the political decision makers are going to have to make the decisions. And that was a Dominican-born entrepreneur and sustainable development expert, Samuel Assam Raphael. And a political scientist, instructor of political science and government, Mr. Alex Bruno, holds the view that Dominica would benefit much better working closely with the countries of the wider Caribbean and not allowing language and culture to be a barrier. Mr. Bruno says there are two main factors to take into consideration. One is the importance of developing interconnecting infrastructure for the region, and the other is being, according to Mr. Bruno, the impact of the environment, as he says, there needs to be an important balance between the two. Two things. One, the importance of or for the development of infrastructure that connects the Caribbean, that connects the region. That is most important. So if that project, as proposed, would have come on stream, it would create a lot of possibilities. But there is the environmental impact assessment, which, as I suspect, was the case cited in what you just presented. That is a major consideration. And if I, after the project is assessed or before it is pr presented, the assessment suggests that it's going to severely impact the way of life of the people of Nicaragua and the region. Um, and it's going to impact on the ecological environment of the area. I believe it should be really rethought of 
because probably the expanse of the project suggests that there'll be a lot of irreparable damage done to the ecosystem and it probably have too much of a shocking impact in terms of the life of the average person so we have to really balance off development with that kind of uh, impact Mr. Bruno says if the impact outweighs the benefits, it is best to refrain from such activities, but he's very optimistic about the enhanced linkages. Impact. And if the impact outweighs the possible benefits, the foreseeable benefits of the employment, of the um, development, it is sometimes best not to proceed with such extravagant and aggressive development all at once. But in principle, I think the idea to connect the region based on the initiative that the Chinese have been doing, and that is not something that is unique to the Caribbean. It's started in Africa, actually, and the, the Chinese are very aggressive in that pursuit. So it is good to speak about it, but it is better to look at the impact, positive or negative, that those developments are going to have on the lives of the people in the region. And um, let's see what happens in that case in Nicaragua. But I'm, I'm really optimistic, and I'm looking forward to more better and enhanced linkages between our peoples through such developments from China or America or Curacao or France, where, wherever the development come from, we should try to embrace it. Um, and we, we spoke the last time about trans air transportation, and I guess we might revisit that before the program ends. This too is a very important linkage that if an independent contractor supported by a government would like to get involved with, let's bring it on. Let's bring it on and let's see what we can do to connect as we continue to connect the Caribbean region. And that was a political scientist, instructor of political science and government, Mr. Alex Bruno. And $32,000 in Dominica is a mountain load of cash that the average Dominican citizen may never obtain in a year, let alone a month, argues Pastor Randy Rodney. Mr. Rodney was speaking on a few social issues within Dominica's shores within the social commentary section of the Kingdom Connection program at the time of the statement. In his attempts to paint a picture of just how ridiculous and expensive the Prime Minister's new cabinet approval monthly living expenses are, he asked the simple question of how many citizens of Dominica actually make $32,000 a year. This would equate to a monthly salary of $2,600 a month, a far cry from the majority of the citizens of Dominicans and what they make. Uh, Pastor Rodney says that it is imperative that we look at things logically. $42,000 in Dominica is $42,000 in Dominica. Dominica. Okay? And when you think of $42,000 in Dominica, here's what you have to think about. Very few people receive $42,000 a year for their income. For them to get $42,000 a year in Dominica, they have to be getting more than 25 or just about 25 or yeah, 25 or $3,000 a month. About $2,800 a month. I said, do you know who gets $2,800 a month? Go to the government and find the category. Not even a senior clerk. <laughs> okay? Check around the nurses. Some of them scrunting to make that. Okay? Check the teachers. They themselves continue to make that. So, so, so when you think about $32,000 a month, you have to talk about it from the perspective of the earning power of the people of, of this country. Of course. Not you. You go out and you make $32,000 yourself like this because mm -hmm. you get your money in U.S. So don't come and tell me $32,000 is nothing. We cannot say that here. In Dominica, we can't say $32,000 is nothing. That phrase must be out of the discussion period 
Okay? Oh when somebody is making $30,000 a year, it means that they can attract a mortgage of almost $200,000 by themselves. Right? Who can do that? I said, that's how, that's how you have to look at it. I said, I said there's no other way of looking at it. $32,000 is $32,000 in Dominican. It's a mountain. And that was a pastor, Randy Rodney. And uh, for too long, we have been producing a somewhat a lazy learning society, says a vocal youth activist and college student, Sophia Lander. He explained that this new generation of Dominican students have grown so accustomed to being spoon-fed information, which has to be broken down into its most basic forms possible in order to be assimilated, that students are finding themselves struggling to adapt to change. He was speaking on the subject of COVID-19 and its effects on the education of the youth at the time of the statement. His argument, however, does not discredit the fact that COVID-19 19 had a very negative impact on the education system, but rather alludes to the fact that it has a somewhat to cause the persons and systems to wake up. I think that part of the problem is that for far too long we have been uh, young people, especially Dominican young people, I can say, um, have been a society of individuals who are very lazy learners. And I say this to mean that we like to be spoon-fed information. And information has to be basically um, broken down to the simplest form for everybody in the classroom to understand. Now, although that is, um, one, that is one of the bases for a lot of education um, strategies in terms of teaching strategies, however, I feel that over some time, we, have to have, we, have, we should have learned over time to adapt to new situations. And although it is very understandable and even for myself i am still in school as well that changing from face to face to online it it is something that really becomes a culture shock because a lot of individuals have to really okay i used to be in class i used to be the class clown and when i'm in when i'm in class i just have to kick off and then i'll get a little something and and i get and i and i am heavily dependent on necessarily having to do the hard work of getting information he says that the reality is COVID-19 is the new normal and with the opening of the borders the surety of a school's opening is still an enigma whether we like it or not we have to come to the reality that COVID-19 is our new norm, our new normal, and as a result, it's not something that's going to change anytime soon. And as a result, um, September is coming around the corner. Will schools open? We don't know. Because, next, because Wednesday the borders are going to open, we don't know what's going to come with that. And as a result, we have to be prepared for the harsh reality that this current status is our new normal. And as I always say, it doesn't make sense crying over spilled milk. We just have to understand we do have a mop. Let us find a piece of napkin or something to pick up the milk. The and that was a vocal youth activist and college student, Fire Lander. And uh, former Attorney General Bernard Wilshire reminds the persons of the bloody history of our ancestors who paved the way for our modern-day freedom. Reciting pages of history in a poetic yet factual manner, he shared with listeners the legacy of one of Dominica's ancestors and warriors, Maroon leader Chief Ajako. His readings came on July 12, 2020, the day dubbed as the July 12 Movement, the day on which Chief Jacko died. Mr. Wilshire shared the last moments of Jacko's life going out to guns blazing and defiant as ever. We can see a parallel in this in what happened to South. The Maroons refused to surrender, and many were butchered as a result after a series of mock trials at that old market. It was in that desperate last stand that Jacko was shot, 
the bullet piercing through his left eye, and having shot at least three of his assailants, was preparing to shoot a fourth when he himself was shot. That showed the level of resistance which the Maroons of Dominico were prepared to put up to the end in their the insistence on their freedom. It is to their death that Sturge was referring in that passage above. And it was an account of the spilling of their blood and the blood, sale, and torture of so many African Kalinago victims that, the well, that that well in the old market became poisoned to contemporaries. But for succeeding generations, it is in that very blood that the foundation of our freedom lies, the accompanying theme of our future. We need to embrace it in order to transcend its limitations. The physical death of the Maroons could not obliterate the fact that their existence did happen and neither did it to kill the rewards of freedoms and the Ramon mentality that was alive. We can see a parallel in this in what happened to South Africans in how they use their struggle. That struggle has now become the myth of their beginning. It is true that the Maroons of Dominica were physically wiped out as a distinct group, but Maronage was not nor was the idea of freedom for which they died. In fact, as a result of their wars and other forms of slave resistance, slavery was abolished within a generation. The unfolding history of that idea of theirs of freedom and the drama of their life and death struggle to attain it is a moral combustion chamber of their cause and the foundation of their legacy to us. Their physical death could not obliterate the fact of their existence and the ultimate triumph of the cause for which they fought and died. And that was the former Attorney General Bernard Wilshire and the President of the Dominica Association of Evangelical Churches, Pastor Randy Charles Wolf Rodney, has brought to light what he sees as a disturbing reality in the world today, carried out by the Chinese government, which he labels as a debt trap diplomacy. Rodney expressed concerns about the control as to the number of churches that are allowed to operate in China, which is currently 20%. Rodney is also announcing that he will soon be leading protests in connection to this manipulative and strategic economic takeover of small developing states and poor countries in need of supplies and infrastructure. This is particularly for you Christian people, okay? In China today, in China today, the government in China is allowing churches, only 20% of churches to function. The rest of them have to do home church or underground church or hiding church. And the 20% church that they want people to follow are government-run churches in China today. Now, those of you who are ignorant of that need to search it for yourself. Here are the implications. The Chinese government has been loaning money to, to poor governments all over the world. And my understanding from my, from my reading is that there are one or two countries now that they have come to foreclose on. To foreclose means to say, you can't pay me the money you owe me, so I take in what you have for it. It's like the bank coming to you to say, I give you a loan to build a house. You can't pay me for the loan. I want the house back. Now, in that particular case, it's not the house they can take. It's the facility of the country. And once they give you a loan for your important areas in the country, and you can't pay them back, and they take it, it's like 
they take the country back. So if China give us an airport, China give us a hospital, China give us this and China give us that, and we can't pay back the loan, and they come back and huff them, it means that we come back now, we get to a place where we under China. Now, I want you all to understand that very, very well, because that's frightening. It is very frightening, and I want to frighten yourself. China is the mom of infrastructure investment the plan, also known as the Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI, is highly controversial and widely criticized for saddening many countries with debt. Dominica may have fallen prey to China's debt trap diplomacy, which is a strategy that is used by China to lure or trap developing or underdeveloped countries like Dominica in the Caribbean to borrow money to be used for much-needed infrastructural projects. So, so just imagine. We have a loan for this, a loan for that, a loan for the one and the And we are told some of them are grants more passive. I'm not sure about that. I don't see no paper. And when I do see no paper, I, I, I am inclined to believe it's a loan. Okay? Now, when they seize those things and they take hold of your country, once they take hold of your country, with the number of Chinese we already have in Dominica, they more than us. Yes, now all of us becoming Chinese. Which means that they will also have the seat of governance, of power, of authority. Once they do have that seat of governance, of power, of authority, I wonder if you're thinking, what happens to the rest of the, the, the liberties in the nation? Because it's obvious that they will run any country the way they run their country. I want you to think about this. He continued further. And I want you to know, my name is Randy Charles of Rodney. And Jack is here tonight, so I'm speaking on behalf of myself and Jack. And I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of Matthew Ogis. I want you all to know that when I begin to see, according to Obama, a smidging of this happening, all you'll have to kill me first, eh? because I'll be doing something that is unconventional. And those of you Christian people, let me tell you, I'll be protesting, even if it's me alone. I probably will start to protest soon, because once I get some information going, I'm going to start the protest just now, because I am of the view that once China gets its its knee on our neck. It wouldn't be for long. You understand? It took them, it took the police eight minutes to kill George Floyd. It might take six. Okay, it won't be for long. And I want you all to think about that. And that was the president of the DAEC, Pastor Randy Charlesworth Rodney. And in other news, the number of hungry people worldwide continues to rise, according to the latest UN reports on the state of food security and nutrition in the world. The joint report by UN agencies gauges or the whether or not the sustainable development goal of zero hunger remains achievable, as speaking on the need to improve not only the food production system, but also the efficiency of global resources to support it, the Food and Agriculture Organization's or FAO Assistant Director General and Chief Economist Maximo Torreo says that in an interview that one that more than three billion people still can't even afford the cheapest, healthiest diet. We are not on track clearly to achieve the 2030 SDG goal. Today we have 690 million people hungry or 8.9% of the world population. And this number has increased in 10 million with respect to the previous year and by nearly 60 million in the last five years. So the number of people affected by severe food insecurity, which is another measure that approximates hunger in addition to the undernourishment measure, shows a similar number in 2019, close to 750 million people. This is nearly one in 10 people in the world uh, are exposed to severe levels of food insecurity. And if we add to that all other forms of malnutrition and we use the moderate and severe food insecurity number, we are talking of about 2 billion people in the world that don't have to save and nutrition and sufficient food in 2019. 
Now, despite this, there are some indicators which are showing some progress and some regions which are showing some progress. So again, we see some progress where we need to accelerate, but still we have a structural problem and we need a transformation of the food systems to be able to achieve SDG2. I think poverty, inequality, demographics, the increase of population, slowdowns and downturns, and especially weather has been key contributors and they interact with each other. But there has been also significant effects because of conflict, political instability. Conflict has continued to, to be there in extremely important in Burundi, in Central African Republic of Cote d'Ivoire, and in many other countries in, in the African region, which has created an exacerbation of the situations today. But also political instability has even affected regions uh, that were doing well before, like the case of Venezuela in, in South America, and together with a significant level of slowdowns in some countries, southern part of America. So again, all these elements contribute to each other and are the reasons behind what we are observing. One additional factor that is happening but in this year is the COVID-19 and also the locust plague, which is affecting Eastern Africa. And that was FAO Assistant Director General and Chief Economist Maximo Tareo in an interview. And also other news of former U.S. Vice President and current uh, presumptive democratic Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said on Tuesday he was glad to see U.S. President Donald Trump finally wearing a mask in public in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's not enough and says that Trump's push to open everything now isn't a successful strategy. Biden also called on Trump to stop pushing the false choice between protecting health or the economy and ask him to listen to his public health experts instead of denigrating them. We are not on track, clearly, to achieve the 2030 SDG goal. Today, we have 690. We are not on track, clearly, to achieve the 2030 SDG goal. Today, we have 690 million people hungry, or 8.9% of the world population. And this number has increased in 10 million with respect to the previous year, and by nearly 60 million in the last five years. So the number of people affected by severe food insecurity, which is another measure that approximates hunger in addition to the nourishment measure, shows a similar number in 2019, close to 750 million people. This is nearly one in 10 people in the world. But I have to are. start by speaking about what millions of Americans know when they wake up every morning with worry, anxiety, and fear. We're still a country in crisis. The pandemic has affected more than 3 million Americans. It has cost more than 135,000 lives in climbing, and it shows no signs of slowing down. In just the last few days, 19 states, 19 states reported record cases, including Florida, which saw more than 15,000 new cases in a single day. Hospitalizations and deaths, two of the most concerning indicators of Trump's failed response, are already unacceptably high, and they are rising. It's gotten bad enough that even Donald Trump finally decided to wear a mask in public. I'm glad he made the shift, but Mr. President, it's not enough. We won't be able to turn the corner and get American people back to work safely without presidential leadership. Mr. President, Open everything now isn't a strategy for success. It's barely a slogan. Quit pushing the false choice between protecting our health 
and protecting our economy. All it does is endanger our recovery on both fronts. Mr. President, please listen to your public health experts instead of denigrating them. Do your job, Mr. President, because if we can't deal with the public health crisis, we can't deal with the economic crisis or deal with almost 18 million Americans who are out of work and the incredible pain inflicted on small businesses and communities of color. We can't deal with a climate crisis that could cost us and cast us into an even darker and more permanent shadow that would loom over the country and the world for a long time. And we won't be able to do what Americans have always done, come back stronger than ever before with the grit, toughness, and resilience that characterizes who we are. And uh, that was the morning news. Here's a recap of the headlines. Uh, $32,000 in Dominica is a mountain load of cash that the average Dominican may never obtain in an entire year, let alone one month, argues Pastor Randy Rodney. FAO Assistant Director General and Chief Economist Maximo Torreo says that more than 3 billion people still can't even afford the cheapest healthy diet as the number of hungry people worldwide continues to rise. And Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden was glad to see President Donald Trump finally wearing a mask in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, but says that Trump's push to open everything now is not a successful strategy. The news was brought to you for the very kind compliments of Rudolph Thomas Enterprises. I've been a presenter, Hassan Robinson. Q, top of the hour news, as it happens, when it happens.